This is the Lord of the Rings podcast on TV Podcast Industries, and we're talking about the Rings of Power, Episode 3, Adar. The faithful believe that when the petals of the white tree fall, tis no idle thing. But the very tears of the Valar themselves, a living reminder that their eyes and their judgment are ever upon us. Do you believe that? In my experience, it is unwise to live one's life guessing after signs and portents. Welcome back, fellow ringers. Yes, welcome to our circle for this fellowship. Mm -hmm. This is the Lord of the Rings podcast on TV Podcast Industries, and we are talking about the third episode of The Rings of Power, Adar. I am one of your hosts, John. I'm your other host, Derek. Welcome back. Yes, nice to be in the circle. It certainly is, yes. It's uh, it's good to be back. Good to get the third episode, mm-hmm. um, and really good to see this playing out. Um, this was superb episode for yeah. me. Loved it. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Really felt Tolkien, really felt Lord of the Rings. Um, even after the first two episodes, which were huge, having two episodes of Rings of Power being released last week, we watched the first two, uh, Hobbit extended movies this week as well to get us back into the world of Middle Earth. Uh, yeah. so, uh, it did confirm that we did get one of our theories completely wrong last week about, <laughs> uh, about the possibility the dwarves have the Arkenstone because it wasn't found in, uh, in the, in Doom, which is where the whole dwarf piece took place. So, I think we're wrong about the Arkenstone, but we think it might be Mithril. Yes. To give off that sparkly white light um, from Mm -hmm. the chest. Um, So Mithril, yes. Yes. But as we've said before, we aren't exactly experts on Professor Tolkien's work. That's where you come in. You can email us uh, with your thoughts and corrections uh, to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. Anything we may have missed, anything you want to highlight uh, that's happening in these episodes, uh, we'd love to hear from you about your thoughts. And we've got lots of feedback since the first two episodes came out and about this episode, episode three as well. Excellent. And of course, you can subscribe to the podcast over on our website at tvpodcastindustries.com. Mm-hmm. You can subscribe to any podcast catcher of your choice. Yes. Uh, yeah. We are on pretty much all platforms. Yeah. So just search TV Podcast Industries. And I've also created a feed just for the Rings of Power podcast, so you can find that by uh, finding Rings of Power from a TV Podcast Industries. Uh, you'll see our lovely new logo up there for the Rings of Power podcast. Excellent stuff. Let us get into our spoiler-filled chat about the third episode of The Rings of Power, Adar. Derek, who did what, when, how, and why? <laughs> well, why is because they want to make a great show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> how is uh, by filming it and uh, giving the actors lines to say and building amazing sets. <laughs> but the people involved, uh, of course, these are based on The Lord of the Rings and the appendices by Professor J.R.R. Tolkien. <gasps> the showrunners of the show are executive producers J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay. 
this episode was written by Jason Cattle and, Ju- and Justin Doble. Uh, just, Jason Cattle wrote episodes of The Sopranos and Fringe, interestingly. And Interesting. Justin Doble also wrote episodes of Fringe and Stranger Things. Excellent stuff. So yeah. big, big pedigree on big TV shows. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Great to have them in the world of Middle Earth. Uh, this episode was, it was directed by Wayne Chi Yip. We've spoken about Wayne Yip before uh, on this podcast, this very podcast, on another fantasy show last year. Uh, he directed episodes two, three and four of The Wheel of Time. Good stuff. Good yeah. to get a, a fantasy pedigree coming in here. Absolutely. And actually, I mean, some of the shots, uh, I thought, you know, when um, Elendil and Galadriel were riding off oh. to the Hall of Law, mm-hmm. uh, just that whole, you know, you, you could argue it's almost unnecessary, but just the, the horse <laughs> hooves going through the sand, seeing it sort of displace the, the seawater from uh-huh. the sand, just that kind of slow-mo but it's it just really evocative absolutely um, you and, know and in the same riding scene we see them riding across the patch of grass below the that beautiful mountain in new zealand as well yeah um a, a, a scene or a shot a location used for the lord of the rings and hobbit movies um but beautifully shot here uh great job from wayne yep there were moments when i stopped taking notes because i was so absorbed by you know the vision that he put on screen of Numenor uh, seeing this in live action for the first time I thought absolutely beautiful job by everybody involved but I presume the director has uh, the placement of camera and so that's what uh, was really catching my eye this time but John do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for The Rings of Power episode 3 Adar sure after being adrift in the Sundering Sea, Galadriel and Halbrand are rescued by a ship captained by Elendil, but are their rescuers friend or foe? They are taken to the land of the star, Numenor, an island kingdom ruled by men who fought Morgoth alongside the elves. The relations between the Numenorians and the elves have grown strained over time, and the arrival of an elf to their lands is a cause for controversy. Queen Regent Miriel denies Gladriel's request for a ship back to Middle-earth. Mm. Watched over by Elendil, he speaks of the continued influence of elves in his lands and takes Gladriel to visit a library of lore built by Elrond's brother, Elros. There she discovers that the Mark of Sauron is actually a map of the Southlands, where a new realm for evil forces is planned. She also learns that Halbrand, who is imprisoned after fighting some Numenorean swordsmiths, is the king of the Southlands. <sighs> As the Harfoots prepare for their seasonal migration, the stranger is revealed while trying to read some star charts that Nori has taken from Sadok's starbook. Nori and her family are reprieved from being left behind despite breaking the laws of the community, but they must travel at the back of the caravan. The next day, as they migrate with Nori's wagon lagging behind the rest of the caravan trail, they discover a stowaway, the stranger, who helps his new friends on their migration. In the Southlands, Arondir has been captured by orcs and taken to a construction camp digging underground passages so orcs can travel during the day. His elven compatriots have also been captured, but are killed during an attempted escape. Arondir survives but is taken to the mysterious orc leader, Adar. This was another big myth-building episode. Lots of tales from the older ages, lots of tales and, and lots of stories about the traditions of, of various characters. So so many interesting things happening in this episode. Oh, definitely. I mean, even just meeting the Numenorians, mm. you know, uh, their, their legacy, their edifices um, captured in Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings, you know, 
you, this this sort of great civilization of mm-hmm. many years gone and uh, just really good to sort of be in the world where Numenorians are still very much uh, alive yeah. and their civilization uh, is present. So Absolutely. I really, really enjoyed that. Yeah, um, similar, sure. to, yeah similar to Kazadoom last week, seeing the dwarven uh, race being alive and and thriving. Here we see Numenor alive and thriving as well. So again, another great image to put on screen for the show. Well, that's well. it. I mean, it, it's just so evocative mm-hmm. because... You know, I just remember in Fellowship of the Ring where, you know, towards the end where the Fellowship are traveling down by river mm-hmm. before they, they split mm-hmm. uh, and Boromir is killed. Uh, and you have, you know, that in the entrance way to that lake with the waterfall, those yeah. two huge statues. Yeah. And here we see those huge statues and faces uh, carved into the rock uh, as has been uh, shown previously. So it's yeah. just really evocative. Um, so just cool. that thread. I mean, so good. So, so uh, this is a TV show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, but let us discuss these tales of Middle-earth with mm-hmm. our tale number one. Galadriel and Halbrand arrive in the island kingdom of Numenor. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, the land of the star, yep. the star island uh, here. And uh, we have uh, both... Halbrand and Galadriel having been rescued by uh, one of the ships of the Numenorean fleet, mm. uh, but it is helmed by Captain Elendil. Yes, it is. Uh, whose whose name can mean something to do with the stars, if I remember, um, but also um, has another meaning, which is elf friend. That's right. Uh, which I, I love how that kind of gets brought up by um, the, the queen later on, where effectively she intonates that he's been treasonous by bringing Galadriel to their island, um, which is, is really good. So this was, you know, again, just that, the, the tales of the Numenor and that line of kings um, as well yeah. coming in here, which was just so good. Yeah, absolutely. We've we've heard of Isildur, um, his son, before. We've uh, we've seen him in uh, in the Lord of the Rings as the uh, the person that goes up to battle against Sauron. So, and we know that one of the major characters from Lord of the Rings, Aragorn, is descended from this bloodline from Elendil and uh, and Isildur. So, uh, great to see their history. And I love, as you say, the Queen Regent using his translation of his name almost as an insult to him yes um they are clearly uh having problems with their relationships with the elves you know this that great moment when galadriel is saying you know we used to have a connection to this land but it became uh, it became difficult over time we were almost as kin but now when she calls out that they effectively were given this land as reward for participating in the war um the queen regent tells Galadriel, well, actually, you know, we paid for it with the blood of our men. Um, so a, li- a lot of love lost, I suppose, between this queen regent, at least, and, uh, and their history with the elves. Well, yeah, but, but not only that, it's, it's going back, to, as she says, to her grandfather of her great grandfather, mm-hmm. you know, so like, this is a number of generations now where this relationship between Numenorians and elves have been strained. So mm-hmm. I really like that. And I love the, the whole, um, sort of threat of, uh, Muriel, um, with Elendil, just 
around his name you know yeah. is almost is he a sympathizer mm-hmm. of the elves is he being treasonous you yeah. know can um he be trusted because he is a captain in in the fleet yeah. but i i also love the just getting that little just a little bit of a the the note between the queen regent and then high chancellor farazon mm. um indicating that Elendil is originally from a noble line yes. uh, and he is in you know he's now just in the service of their navy mm-hmm. uh, but he has this son uh, Isildur and I he's a cadet in the navy following at least being pushed by his father in in the service of the fleet yes, to become uh, a sea guardsman yes. yeah I, but I loved how it cut to the ship where he's training oh, as yeah. the cadet and just again that thread through and um, this world with the the whisper of a sealed or almost mm. in the air in that same voice that we got in uh lord of the rings yeah. it's just really nicely done yeah. um and i love that just just so kind of artistically done in terms of that exposition yeah. and it's just learning that law it's just really good mm. um and you're going i just want to see how these characters in a sense, re- regain their nobility mm-hmm. and how that comes to pass. But, you know, we do see there is some kind of strain here um, with the elves linked to the ancestry and the current Queen Regent, Miriam. Well, yeah. Um, even just at the end, um, where she goes up into the tower, I'm assuming her father is still alive Yes, in that room, though we don't see him, where she says, the moment we feared has arrived... Um, you know, the elf is here exactly. effectively. Exactly. So, and, and am I right in saying that, that that what we hear from um from Elendil is that that king, her father, was an elf sympathizer, as they call him, and that's why he was deposed and she's taken over the seat, the the uh, the king's seat from him. Well, because that's of that. it. So, it would be interesting um, to see what and how this this change in the relationship um with. And the elves, how that came about, why that came about Mm. uh, in Numenor, because it seems like there's a real great political narrative. You know, Mm. was it a coup in some way of the previous uh, nobility? Yeah, Uh, was. But despite that, you have, um, in a sense, you know, for Queen Regent Muriel, she is right to. Worry if this is, you know, a new politics, mm-hmm. then, you know, questioning Elendil is right because there is that lovely moment where he speaks Elvish to Galadriel, oh, yeah. where he talks that, you know, in the West there are still, you know, Elvish is taught, it is spoken, and that are, there are these halls of, of law mm-hmm. that were created by the elves and um, Elros uh, in particular for the one that we go to yes uh, were you know this this really adds more to the story uh, you know a number of things come out of Galadriel's visit there absolutely and um, firstly just that you know elves are not universally hated on the island mm-hmm. there are in a sense you know, maybe for want of a better word sympathizers but mm. I really enjoyed uh this yeah yeah i thought i thought it was really really interesting and again you know there's those little nods to how ancient galadriel is to these people they speak about her in terms of myths and legends effectively they have a, a puppet shows going on about 
Galadriel the elf you know this is these are stories that are passed down through generations and there she is walking among them you know um she's looking at that painting of Elros and Elrond yeah. uh, on the wall and we've just seen her hang out with Elrond uh, back in Linden you know this is this is a, a living history for her whereas uh, the the uh, residents of Numenor uh, look on her as if she's an ancient legend that they would never meet. There's an interesting touch with Numenor. They are uh, known as mariners. They are seafaring people, but they are only protecting the waters around their shores. They don't go to Middle Earth. They don't travel from Numenor to Middle Earth. That's that's why there's such a pushback from the Queen when Galadriel is asking for a ship to take them back to to Middle Earth because they don't go there. So yeah, uh, so quite an interesting one. I actually really liked as well how um, Halbrand here being quite astute uh, and diplomatic in the ways of this royal court mm. as well, which comes later from what Galadriel finds in the the Hall of Law. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in a sense, in this episode, he's portrayed as a brawler yep. and a very good one. Uh, Absolutely. And, and maybe even, you know, his trade is as a smithy in, in the past. Seems, and seems you know, he's to be, looking yeah. to sort of get employment mm. to start this new life here. Yeah, it feels like uh, he's trying to get away from his history or his birthright as far as possible away. Um, so he's used this trade of being a smithy and various places is what it seems like. So Well absolutely uh, and, and Galadriel see finds and mm-hmm. um, you know archives to the sigil that he holds around his his neck yeah. being the sigil of the King of the Southlands. Mm-hmm. Um that he is the king of uh the Southlands. And I, I really enjoy that just you know his his ancestors were able to unite the disparate tribes of yeah. that area and 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 pull them together under their single sort of banner yes. effectively yes they were but unfortunately they did support morgoth well exactly um, and i the Numenorians and the elves joined together to to yeah. go against morgoth I, yeah. I really but i really enjoyed how that came out from halbrand as mm-hmm. well you know and um, that my ancestors also swore a blood oath to Morgoth, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm not the hero you seek. In, yeah. in effect, you don't know if you can trust me because my fate, my my bond is to maintain this blood oath mm-hmm. to Morgoth and his forces. So mm-hmm. again, it just adds a nice little edge to Halbrand. Yeah. You know, is he in a sense going to be the ranger type from the north that helps or is he for turning or mm-hmm. is he never turned to the the good side he still would honor that or is that why he's fled from the southlands Mm -hmm. and given that the orcs attacked him he's kind of maybe he feels that that bond uh, should no longer be in place but it just adds a nice little edge to the the relationship there it does doesn't and i think that's it's something that we've seen before in characters created by professor tolkien where this self-doubt has to be overcome before you can become the hero that you're destined to be you know that's that's kind of one of the uh central pieces that we read in some of these stories i, I like that that's here from halbrand especially when galadriel realizes he's come from the line of kings that's that's really interesting yeah but her other finding which i do like it's a, a little bit of a surprise since she's been chasing for a, a century um she's been chasing sauron and then finds that 
All she needed to do was turn his sigil to the side, and then it's a map <laughs> to uh, to the Southlands. Oh, those are mountains. That's not, and and that's the river that runs through them. And so I thought that was quite interesting. That that's what her investigation leads to, uh, where she is here in in uh, the whole of lore. She realizes this symbol um, that she's been chasing, thinking it was just a, a, a brand that Sauron was leaving on his victims, turns out to be a map for all of the orcs to follow, to go to the Southlands for this new plan they have to turn the Southlands into their central haven. Well, in a sense, I mean, it's both, isn't yeah. it? That's that's the thing. It is the, it's the other interpretation of what that means, or of what is only known to those within the circle, the servitude mm-hmm. of Sauron. So, I mean, it, it, it's that idea of something stirring you you know straight in the face that mm-hmm. you never pick up on it, it it requires that other sort of interpretation or angle to look at it and in a sense it's at the hall of law where she sees it down on paper yeah. but more in the vein of mountains and, and, a, and a map yeah. uh, as depicted uh, in the maps of, of middle earth mm-hmm. and so on so that was really good and that this the successor of Morgoth Sauron that you know were to create a world um where evil could thrive mm-hmm. effectively yes. so if you know really the the way i'm interpreting this is southlands becomes mordor mm-hmm. as we see in the later ages that's right so yeah. um you know in, in some respects then what the orcs are doing in the Southlands is that process of turning this land into a place where evil can not only reside, Mm -hmm. but thrive. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, really interesting little touch here. So uh, we are seeing the beginnings of Mordor. Uh, How how interesting is that? Uh, Anything else um, in in Numenor that we want to talk about before we move on to our next point? Um, The the only thing uh, I think is... And um, you, you have that moment where Sildor, his, his sister, Arian, um, and, and Elendil are all sat down mm-hmm. where Sildor is wanting to find out about his family ancestry. Yeah. Uh, and to look at it. And Elendil really is saying, no, leave it alone. Mm-hmm. You will, um, you'll be a cadet in the Navy and that's what you will be. Yeah. It's, I wonder if Elendil is, this is how their family survives ultimately, or yeah. is he being, you know, this is how our family survives until the right moment. I mean, Maybe. again, yeah. just at this moment in time, um, it, it just seems like Elendil is with the changes that have happened with Numenor as to where their original allegiances were, mm-hmm. that it is keeping under the, the radar exactly. of, of the new, um, royalty, yeah. effectively. Yeah, but we hear that his brother's already gone off on this search and he gave up on his, uh, sea guardsman position before. So, um, Isildur is, go- is, is trying to go and join his brother in this investigation to see potentially what their claim on the throne could be. Yeah. You know? I mean, interestingly, he says there's nothing for us in the Western shores mm-hmm. and that it, that is the shoreline that faces Valinor. Mm-hmm. And it, it's interesting, you know, there is mentioned that, the ships, when sailing westwards, cannot uh, go so far that their their coastline can't be seen. So they have to stay within sight of the um, land of the stars. So that they don't find the undying lands themselves. Yeah. Yes, And I think as well, it's interesting, uh, and maybe just something to note, that 
I think this island is much bigger than what you think. It's mm-hmm. not kind of like tropical island. It's not a small <laughs> island, yeah. which initially I thought it might like, be, right. you know? Yeah. Um, but the scale of the island is is big, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I really, really enjoyed uh, this uh, definitely absolutely absolutely beautiful job uh, creating this new island kingdom of Numenor yeah um, will we move on to our second tale yes and I think this is a good one um, our tale number two let's talk about Arandir and his fellow soldiers captured by the orcs this is a really um, interesting one Arandir is probably one of my favorite characters oh, in the show so far he's yeah. great really really good but you know, it's interesting calling back to last week's episode when he was uh, investigating this um, this town that had been taken. And he was talking to Bronwyn and uh, you remember he was about to profess his love to her and she asked where his fellow uh, elves were. And he said, well, they're probably out looking for me. And if we find out here when he's been captured by these orcs, we find out that all of them have actually been captured as well. So did they get captured when they went out to look for him or did they get captured on their way back um, to Lindon where they were recalled to? Um, you know, is it possibly Aaron Deer's fault that his kinsmen were captured? Because if they hadn't been out looking for him, they may have already well, gone. Yeah, know, that's wondering, true. Wondering if that's what it was. Uh, but I really like the scene. And, and one of the touches I loved was the orcs speak in exactly the same kind of London accent that we had in Lord of the Rings when they yeah. talk about Adar, it's it's uh, you can hear that London accent yeah. that we had that we heard so much from uh, from those orcs in the in Lord of the Rings. So that was cool. Definitely, yeah. I mean, it, it's really nice, and I mean, some great looking orcs and the prosthetics mm. and so on here. Really enjoy that, you know. Um, just that difference between orcs and and elves. Mm-hmm. I think the other. The other interesting thing, I think, you know, as we mentioned, this is effectively them trying to um, control the Southlands, yeah. build this this haven for evil where it can thrive. And the timing of this with the High King Gilgalad um, pulling out the forces mm-hmm. and the watchers from their castles and their watchtowers, yeah. I just wonder whether there is an infiltrator in the elven society is, is there someone that or is it just that they're watching and waiting mm. in that sense and you have know? they waited long enough now it's been a hundred years yeah. and that they're, they're reacting to the 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 pull out of the elves from the southlands right. or is it something that's been designed and manufactured you know influenced mm. by um some kind of infiltrator in in the elven mm. uh you know high council so i, I that's Something I don't know, but it'd just be interesting to know what yeah. if there is some kind of correlation. There. Right? Yeah. For for me, my my thinking on it was that this character of Adar, who we don't get to meet in the episode, they talk about him a few times, um, which means father in Elvish. It's an Elvish word, they, uh, which was called out by Arondir. That why would they be calling Sauron by an Elvish name? But um, maybe this isn't. Sauron, maybe it's just another very good organizer here who has who has put all of the orcs on this plan and is is controlling them in a better way than in the past, so that they have been able to escape all of the watches of the elves. So uh, that's the way I was I was kind of seeing. Well, it, it's interesting as well. Whilst um, you know, at the end here, Arondir is brought uh, before. Uh, this mysterious figure of of Adar, you know, mm. when he's first captured, all the orcs are chanting for Adar, for Adar, Adar yeah. you know. And okay, Adar is kept mysterious here mm. in in the framing with very soft focus, yeah. very blurry, but doesn't even with that doesn't look particularly 
Orky. He doesn't. Um, and there is this, I think from uh, Lord of the Rings, there is, um, there is the history that orcs are effectively elves that have been disfigured mm. and mutilated and in a sense brainwashed, you know, turned. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think I remember that. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I, I just wonder. Read that bit again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just given Adar is called father mm. uh, in Elvish, or Adar is father in in Elvish. Mm-hmm. I wonder if this is actually the creator of the orcs, and if Adar themselves hasn't changed their own look. You mm. know, could walk among elves quite easily i get you so i don't know you know it's really intriguing here Mm. um but ultimately arondir is brought before adol because him and his crew attempt uh, an escape here and i have to say i just loved this this fight in the trenches and that they're they're digging yeah i really really enjoyed just the use of their their the chains Mm -hmm. that are keeping them captive and but ultimately, it's not very successful. Yeah, yeah, I, I, you're, you're right. That though, that opening moment of it, where one of the uh, one of the elves flips around and uses that chain to strike at the elves who can't come out in uh, direct sunlight. They're forged in darkness, um, so they they are pained and, and burnt, almost like vampires yes. uh, from the sun. So uh, I love they they time it to this moment when it's the the sun's at its highest, effectively. Um, but also I love how the scene was filmed where they all cross all of their chains across each other and they all strike at the chains with their implements to try and yes, break all yeah. of their chains at the same time. I think it's really cool, just the timing of it. It's it's something like you would see in a forge, um, like people uh, creating something, but they're trying to destroy the chains of each of them. But unfortunately, um, the first person taken out is, is Medor, who we, who we met last episode. He was the uh, the other soldier that accompanied uh Arondir on his uh, on his visits, um, and he was kind of a bit of a jokey guy. He was it was the kind of fun guy, but he gets taken out first in a pretty brutal kind of slash to the neck. Yeah, I, I thought actually that whole um, the whole scene around the water ration mm. a- after effectively their captain, their former captain, um, challenges the orcs who are asking them to chop down the tree. Yes, and he's saying no, it'd be better to go around in order to try and preserve the tree Mm -hmm. and keep it alive i thought actually that was really tense because you know it it just i just loved how it kept flicking back to the orc that had handed the captain Mm -hmm. uh, the water ration you know is it poisoned but he kept looking back and chuckling and then it went to arondir and again just going back towards the orc and him looking around to his his other orcs knowingly and, and sort of sort of muted chuckle. Mm-hmm. You think, okay, is the water poisoned? And then finally, it goes to Arondir's uh, compatriot, yeah. um, and it's just that whole idea. It seemed like he took a, the drink from the canister mm-hmm. just differently, and it exposed his neck, and he gets then the blade, the orc blade across his neck. Yeah. Uh, so it was really brutal. But I found that whole scene really well constructed and yeah. just really tense it was. as to what was going to happen. Yeah. And then we also get the introduction of a warg, uh, mm. first warg. Like a proto-warg, yeah. it yeah. looked. Yeah. 
I'm really, I, I know this is really bad. Uh, I love dogs, absolutely love dogs, but I don't like small dogs, you know, the little ones that bark all the time. <laughs> and the face of this one really reminded me of one of those really ugly small dogs. <laughs> so they've changed the look of these uh, from the ones that we've seen in, in The Hobbit and, and in uh, in The Lord of the Rings. Um, it does look like one that's a thousand years earlier. Of course it does. It does look uh, it does look very different and does look very beastly, but uh, a really interesting, fun scene uh, in, in the action here where you feel like, you know, the the ward takes out what three or four uh, of the of the crew before um, he finally comes up against Arondir, and Arondir uh, is able to distract him enough effectively for his former captain or his commander uh, Revion to climb the walls and get out uh, and you know fulfill their plan. And what I really liked within this within this episode, it's not really heavy handed about the love elves have for trees and how important trees are to their to them, but because of that argument you had earlier on, on him trying to save one tree, I think that moment when they see over the edge and see how much devastation has been done to the whole area. It's not just this one hole yeah. that's been dug and one tree that they're going to knock down. They've already taken down hundreds, if not thousands of trees in the area. It looks like a burnt out husk of its former self. Yes. And then we see Revion about to escape, but a great moment as he stops and unfortunately is hit by the uh, the arrows of the orcs. And you can just see them off in the background. So it's not just this group of orcs no. on the ground. And I guess, another group. Exactly. Yeah. And I guess those orcs are covered up to protect them from the sunlight mm. as well. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, that to me, it had real kind of um, sort of connection with Boromir's mm-hmm. death. Just when with the second arrow going in, now he didn't get a third or a fourth yeah. like with Boromir. But... Just, you know, that first arrow there and him reeling, but just the second one, it, mm-hmm. it really had um, hints and notions of that scene yeah. with with Boromir in Fellowship of the Ring. And so it just, it really reminiscent, really, yeah. really enjoyed uh, that. Yeah, um, yeah I, I thought this was really good around the tunnels and yeah. just the 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 tension of it, mm-hmm. the tragedy of it, and also the... The, the action around it, really Absolutely. good. And the intrigue with Adar as yeah, well. Yeah, but also the sacrifice as well. You know, there's that conversation that they had when they're when they're doing the plan where Revion is saying, all it will take is one of us to get out of here and then we can, you know, bring the fight back to these orcs. Not realizing how many of the orcs there are. This isn't just one small troop of 50 or 60 orcs yeah. that are keeping them at bay. It's also other troops in other areas and who are trying to take over the Southlands, basically. Uh, we also see in the establishing shots as, as our is being brought through, there are women and children all in cages as well. There's hundreds of people that are captured by the orcs here. So it's not that very small workforce that we saw. There's no. also hundreds of people, all the people from that town uh, that were sacked um, last episode. I guess that's that's where they've been brought and to. And all helping to build the tunnels, mm-hmm. I guess, in, in some way. Yeah. Um, or so- dig and find something as well. There's a possibility that they're looking for something as well. Yeah. But I, I, well, it looked like it's so they can travel in daylight because yeah. I, I loved all the... You know, there's a a panned wide shot looking at the entrance of the Mm -hmm. tunnel, but where it's just, it's got, um, sort of fabric or tent, Mm. um, covers over the top to, um, to protect them from the sun. Yeah. So really, I I thought this was superb. Absolutely. And I, I, caught it a little bit on the second or third watch we had of the episode because we watched it quite a few times. Um, the fabric that all of the orcs are wearing, it all looks like hide. 
Yeah. So, and I'm not too sure whether that's hide of their captives or whether it's animal hide. So, just uh, just a note yeah, okay. of how yeah, brutal yeah. the orcs actually are. They yes. may have been using some of the uh, some of the Southlanders hides to build their to create their their look. I could be wrong, but yeah. that's what I that's what I thought. They are evil. Yeah, definitely. But I think we can go on to our tale number three. Yes. Concerning Halfoot's law and traditions. I had to have concerning Halfoot's in there in our note. Uh, <laughs> that, that, that is how the Lord of the Rings starts with concerning hobbits. Um, so, so we learn a lot about the Halfoot's and who they are as people and, and their lore and traditions. And I really enjoy this. Wow. Lenny Henry is just doing a great job as the leader of this group to, you know, it, it could almost come across as, just a lots of exposition but it's handled in such a great way in such a fun way in some in some instances and such a tragic way in others um their celebration that they're having before their next migration this is what they do every time they either run out of food or have chosen to move on to their next destination they have this moment of celebration and the remembrance of the left behinds as they as they call them which i absolutely love but just the starting moment where it all seems really creepy where they're all dressed up in their um in their harvest uh, yeah it's a little wicker almost. man it is and, a little wicker man yes but it, yeah it, i mean it, it's it's an amazing um sort mm. of design i, I loved it and yeah. you know it, i think the difference here it's part camouflage as yes. well as part ceremonial dress yeah you know like I, I love that even in their normal garb you see the halfoots have used all of the berries and twigs and um and leaves and everything into uh accentuate their their look each of them has their own their own individual look but in this in this march that we see in this celebration that we see they're now dressed up in full kind of ceremonial dress but again all from the area around them it looks like the harvest festival yeah. almost and even um, their wagons when we see mm. them head on their migration yeah and um, just look like sort of islands of rushes and yeah. so on which is it, a just thought it was great design. Yeah, um, like your eyes supposed to take it that they're not there, uh, and you only yeah. see them when they're moving, kind of thing, which is which is quite cool. But I love the chant of their kind of central edict of nobody goes off trail, uh, nobody walks alone, which is how they've survived together for the thousand years that they've yeah. that they've been in existence. But yeah. I mean, for for Nari's family with her mom and dad, um, Largo and Rose, mm-hmm. you know, they're worried that they will be left behind yeah. as they migrate because of largo's um injury yes. la- last week yeah so and he was helping the whole community yeah there you know I think so that's... it's a little harsh yeah. their mantra of left behind i mean yeah. in terms of left behind it it seems it's either uh you know in the remembrance that they do which we see poppy proudfoot mm-hmm. uh, her family all seem to have been left behind but due to yeah. being killed and um, yeah they all died in an avalanche they died in an avalanche yeah uh, others it's because maybe they had injuries where they couldn't um mm-hmm. continue and and go on the migration yeah. because they were hobbled in some way yeah. and if you um, can't keep up with the caravan exactly you're left behind you're left yeah. behind so yeah. there is a harshness to this Absolutely. as well certainly where it's that that latter reason for yeah. for being left behind mm-hmm. but again it's interesting is that how then the line of hobbits comes that are settled because mm. if they're left behind but recover from their injuries they can no longer find their their caravan yeah and then they've effectively become sedentary and they settle mm. yeah i don't know i'm just saying it it, it could be one of those things you yeah, know it, it's that moving from being nomadic through to 
um, settled. Yeah, yeah, and that may have been one one reason or or one happenstance effectively that mm. this happened um, because someone was left behind and in the end they were like well screw them because <laughs> they you know I've recovered I will create my my home here kind of I think the way I, I would kind of see it is the the Harfoots are always looking for safety and when they feel an area isn't safe that's when they move along remember what we've seen from Sadok is that he's taking these um indications of what's going on around the hunters walking through where they've set up camp you know the 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 meteor arriving on earth he's taking those as warning signs moments that they have to move on from where they are and the description of hobbiton is that it's completely separate from the world of men there's nobody no men have ever visited hobbiton it's only really gandalf that we've seen has come to hobbiton so um perhaps they have finally found their home when they get to Hobbiton and that's why they settle there rather than it just being yeah, left behind. Absolutely. That it is safe and mm-hmm. there's no need to move and so over time it becomes settled. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. It could but be it, that. I think um I mean the other the other thing that happens is Nori is looking to get the star chart for the stranger <laughs> and almost another reason why the Brandyfoots Huh. suddenly is at risk of being left behind or at least nori because she's break she's broken the rules and mm. um, in helping a stranger and um, someone outside of their group yes um and uh i i love the fact that um sedok ultimately says She's still young, mm-hmm. but the punishment is you must travel at the back of the caravan trail yes. as we migrate. And of course, with Nori's dad's injury, you, you see it as they're moving off that mm-hmm. they have fallen back significantly. Yeah. And so it's saying almost Sadak is saying, no, you can come with us, but if you fall behind and lose, mm. um, and, and, and you can't keep up with the wagon trail. Well, then you are the left. You behind. are the left behind. Yeah. Um, and luckily, they have a stowaway in a sense mm-hmm. that um, is then going to help them by yeah. pushing their caravan in in the stranger. Yeah, yeah. The stranger calls out that that they're friends now. So he's he he hasn't known any language to deal with them up and up until the last well in the last couple of episodes, but now he's learned a few mm. words uh, and now he's taking on that um support role, I guess, to help push uh their uh their uh caravan alongside everybody else. So um so they're still quite far behind and Poppy's staying with them as well, which I thought was interesting. As you said, yeah. in the in the the moment of remembrance for the Left Behinds, we find that she's lost her entire family. So she is all alone within this group. So it, it, there was a moment effectively where the Brandyfoots are telling her to move on, go faster, get, catch up with the rest of the caravan. But she stays with them. Yes. Um. So it, it feels like they're breaking off. So even if they don't catch up with the caravan, it feels like they've formed their own family here. Or yeah. we're seeing that family unit, so uh, that that's really interesting too. Yeah, uh, definitely. I have to say that moment of comedy um, between Poppy and uh, and Nori while they're trying to find those star charts um, from the star book, uh, I did really like it. I thought it was really fun uh, and kind of necessary. You know, this show isn't Game of Thrones. This show isn't about the brutality and death and uh, and trying to work out who's going to stab who next or take off somebody's head. That's not this show. So making sure that we do still have those moments of lightness with this group of the ha- of the half foot. So th- and there's, as I say, this, the, the moments of the left behinds is quite a serious and quite affecting moment when you hear all the people that they've had yeah. to lose because it- of their central idea. But where we hear 
Poppy talking to Sadok and going, I'll go right now, no straight, I mean left, uh, right now, <laughs> yeah, exactly. to give directions to Nari, who's under the table, I thought was really good yeah. fun. It's yeah. just the moment of levity, yeah. um, you know, through it, which is good. Yeah, and has always worked well for the Hobbits that we've seen in the past yes, and in exactly. other movies, so uh, I'm really liking these characters, I must yeah, say. absolutely, yeah. loving the characters. Well, fellow ringers, that ends our tales of Middle-earth for this, for this episode, and... Yeah. Um, Derek, did you enjoy episode three, Adar? I really enjoyed this. I think, as I said, I, I lost track of writing notes because I was taking so much in from what's on the screen. I'm still shocked how much is there on a TV show on a weekly basis. This is such a good show to watch. I'm really, really enjoying it. All of the characters. Um, I love how they're really crafting the story well. So we're learning a lot of knowledge about this about this world a lot of the history and how it's all connecting together you know it feels like we're on a collision course already uh towards the southlands around here being there um halbrand being from there and gladriel needing to go there and the halffoots are traveling so um i think it's entirely possible that, that place that the stranger was looking for that star chart that, that he was looking for is in the southlands as well i think it's entirely possible that that's where We'll get all of those storylines merging together and maybe a new fellowship uh, yeah. merging to uh, to try and fight back against the orcs taking over the second. Yeah, in- interestingly, I-, I couldn't envision the Harfoots um, and their caravan going into the Southlands. It-, it would seem too dangerous with all the orcs and, and everything going mm-hmm. on. But yes. Um, but maybe just the Brandyfoots. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How about yourself, John? Did you enjoy this episode? Yeah, absolutely loved it. Five nifty Numenorians out of five. Nice. Yeah, I just, I just loved how this expanded on um, the the two episodes released last week. Uh-huh. You know, starting uh, to get this picture again, introduced to the Numenorians, which I loved, and all the lore coming from the halls of law, mm-hmm. as well as the Numenorian sort of history and the intrigue around what's there i really enjoyed arondir um and his capture i I just thought that was really you know excellently done you know for scenes set effectively in in, at the opening of a tunnel uh really well done um this felt epic again sweeping Mm -hmm. It, it was tinged with tragedy for arondir's compatriots it was um it was tinged with uh threat with what the orcs are doing there in mm-hmm. the Southlands and, and the, the reasons for that as learnt by Galadriel. Um and the the the, the Halfoots um just you know, I really enjoyed this 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 episode with with their own law coming mm-hmm. out yeah. uh, around the left behinds and 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 also you know nobody goes off trail and nobody walks alone mm-hmm. unless you can't walk anymore well, effectively yeah. whether but then they'll just leave you behind yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah five nifty Numenorians out of five fantastic uh, really enjoyed it fantastic before we get into our feedback uh, for this week and we have feedback on episode one and two and and this episode as well uh, we just should mention that we are going on holiday uh, something that we haven't done in quite a while we're going to be taking a little bit of time off from podcasting for a couple of weeks uh, which means the Next time we record about the Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, we're going to be talking about episode four and five, because uh, both will, will be released when we get back. We should be back around the 26th of September. So um, so look out for our podcast there. Stay subscribed. 
make sure you send in your thoughts uh, to us for the episodes as you watch them to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or pop on over to our Facebook group. We will still have our spoiler posts for each of the episodes as they're released on facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries. Yes. Looking forward to a bit of a holiday, but uh, but we will be taking a break from our podcasts on She-Hulk, on Sandman and on uh, Lord of the Rings. Yes, we will. The Rings of let <laughs> Yes, exactly. But let us get into our feedback. We have <laughs> some feedback on episodes one and two. Uh, first up, we have a voicemail from Dr. Bob Phillips. We do. Here's some uh, some thoughts from Dr. Bob on episode one and two. Hello, I'm Bob, and I'm not an expert in Lord of the Rings and the lore of Tolkien. I'm a sort of one-time reader, few-times-watcher type of person. And I've been watching the power of the rings along with the wonderful TV podcast Industries crew. What are my reflections on the first couple of episodes? Well, firstly, that it was a brilliant idea to watch the pair of them as if they were a movie because it really did feel like the first movie of a series. We were introduced to the Imperial Elves, the travelling pre-hobbits, devious humanity in all its forms, insular dwarves, non-verbal starmen, and vandalising orcs vandaling around the place. We've got a lot to get through here, and a lot to get to the end of, and everything's going to turn out awful in the end, because because we know the third age is coming. But But can it do it with any sense of goodness? Will there be any relief in it anywhere? Why on earth did anyone think that they'd be able to swim all the way back to shore wearing only a cotton nightshirt? All sorts of questions that I have to have answered yet. And and underneath it all, this slightly awkward obsession with the evil of blood and how we might be able to pick up the badness of our ancestors. But hopefully what we'll find is that those are just stereotypes and presumptions and that everybody can break those bonds. It is wonderful to be listening to you. You are amazing people. Please do keep ringing. Thank you so much, Bob. Uh, really good to get your thoughts on those yeah. first two episodes. Great to um, hear from you, Bob. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? That just, you know, people bound by fate mm. uh, that continue um, along trajectories and pathways mm-hmm. that are normalized in a way or or that believe they are predestined and whether you yeah. can break those chains of expectation or presumption yeah i think really uh important element here yeah uh, uh, for sure as i say it is it is something of tolkien's characters a lot of them who have that history who have that legacy are worried that they will fall into the same traps of their ancestors um sometimes because of blood sometimes because uh they can't believe somebody else would have fallen in that trap and maybe they will do the same thing so it's just that um concern for themselves that they aren't strong enough to carry the weight of being a hero that that comes out quite a lot uh within uh within these stories so uh, again nice to see it 
shown in this episode. Exactly. Yeah. And we, we see it in episode three mm-hmm. as well um, with Halbrand exactly. and, and that conversation with Galadriel. Yeah. And I'm completely with you there around uh, whether it was fatalistic or very optimistic um, of Galadriel that she could uh-huh. swim her way back to Middle-earth. But <laughs> I guess there's a resilience um, almost you know, for want of a better word, superpower to the elves. Um, So maybe if anyone could have done it, Mm. it's an elf, I guess. But they can drown. Um, if, she, if she hadn't been saved by Halbrand uh, when she um, went under the water, she may have drowned there. So uh, she couldn't walk back underwater or anything like that. So, yeah. uh, But the choice was either disappear from uh, the lands forever in the uh, Undying Lands or uh, try and swim back, I guess. And so, I, yeah. I, I guess as well it becomes a, once she's made that decision, mm-hmm. um, however possibly silly it is at that moment, yeah. um, it then becomes about survival. Exactly. So I, I guess that's why it, it kept her going. But yeah. she was lucky to run into a capsized uh, ship and the the float, you know, the the raft mm-hmm. that the survivors were on. But yeah, I had the same thought for yes. sure. But great to hear from you, Bob. Definitely. Uh, keep the old voicemails coming in. Yeah, absolutely. Really good. Um, also an email from Robert Williams about episodes one and two. Oh my God, I didn't realize you guys would be discussing this. I don't know how I missed that. <laughs> so, so excited to be on the journey through the Misty Mountains of Middle-earth, so to speak, with with you guys. Okay, so what are your predictions on the blood sword Theo finds? Mm. Could the stranger be an incarnation of Gandalf? Love the parallel relationship Elrond has with Durin, like Legolas with Gimli. It made me smile. Mm. I also loved the Ents that were in uh, a cutscene with the meteor going across the sky. Mm-hmm. I hope we see more of them. Anyway, look forward to your breakdown next week. As Coffee and Vodka says, peace and take care. I think I got that right. Forgive me if I was off. Um, <laughs> you did? Yes, that's Coffee and Vodka's. Uh, that certainly sorry. is, Robert. Um, <laughs> Robert also added, uh, you did talk a lot about the sword, but I predict it will be one of the wraiths in mm. the movies. There is chatter it could turn him into Sauron himself. Do you think this is possible, Robert? Right, so this is Theo and the uh, the blade that he finds. Could that turn him into Sauron? Um, I think Sauron's in existence in this world. We've uh, we've heard about Sauron already ha- being involved in the battle, and now he's hidden. Effectively, is what we're what we uh, believe has happened here in the in the Rings of Power at this point. Yeah, he hasn't been banished or mm-hmm. captured in the same way that you have. Um, with uh, the Lord of the Rings, yeah. you know that he's he he's been contained. This is still someone very much uh, in existence. I think. I think just so. keeping very well hidden. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't think Theo is going to be Sauron, uh, but. As you say, the rights from the movies, the rights from the Lord of the Rings books are former kings, former leaders of the humans who have their rings. And those rings were effectively turned by the one ring, the, the Sauron's ring of power. So it's possible that Theo could grow up to be, become a king and be changed over. So, yeah, no, exactly. Mm. This this could form a Morgul blade, um, you know? That is exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, the uh, the blade itself does look like the kind of blade that stabbed... Um, Frodo Baggins, uh, one of the ones that was carried by the uh, Ringwraiths. So 
entirely possible that's the type of blade he's found but it feels like at the moment and we're very early on it just it just came across a little bit in the last episode that it was turning him it was influencing him it was guiding him and we've heard before that humans were supporting uh morgoth the former uh i guess leader of the uh of the uh, the other army so uh potentially this is the type of blade that could convert theo yes. into following that army so uh, it'll be an interesting thing to find out in the future also, you mentioned uh, the the relationship between Elrond and Durin. I thought that was absolutely great. Yeah. Um, you know that the it does have shades of the uh, of Legos, Legolas and Gimli, but these were former friends that had kind of turned on each other and have come back together now. And I really like that uh, as a as a story for for the two of them. At the moment, though, we still don't know who the stranger is. Uh, still. Um, hints and kind of ideas of who he might be, but I'm not too sure whether I know. No, I who, don't. Who it could be at all. I think it's safe to say it could be... Um, a wizard like Gandalf. A, yeah, maybe. a wizard like Gandalf mm. from the same uh, species or, yeah. and of race. Yeah, yeah, that's possible. Thanks so much for your thoughts, Robert. Yeah, thanks, Robert. We also got a message in from Victor Von Doom on the first two episodes. Uh, he says, Salutations, my lords. I'm amazed at this undertaking, and I enjoy everything so far. From Bear McCreary's score to this fantastic sets and scenery just amazing to watch it on the small screen i was surprised to see lenny henry here as, as a harfoot my favorite race is the dwarves disa and duran are an absolute hoot duran blusters but disa runs that household oh, yes i'm sure that she could patch things up between duran and the silver-tongued elrond i believe gladriel may never grow tired of being right all the time <laughs> <laughs> good stuff victor Andathoris Ethel Victor Von Doom. I think I, sp I pronounced that right. My Elvish is uh, definitely rusty. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for your thoughts, Victor. Uh, really good to hear from you. I know we got some more uh, thoughts about this episode uh, as well. So uh, great to hear from you. Yeah, and I'm totally with you. Just the, the music, the scenery, the the sets are just uh, incredible. Yeah. Thanks, Victor. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth Nikolaevich says, The constellation of the Big Dipper, or the plough as it's called in Britain, outlined by the fireflies mm -hmm. from the stranger's hands, appeared when the elves first came into existence. I'm beginning to think the stranger is Tillian of Samarillion lore. Mm -hmm. Really good. I, I actually noticed the constellation of the Big Dipper as well, just because right. it, 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 from episode two. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just real, or the plow, uh, or I think Ursa Major is mm. the other one. Uh, it's the other name for it, I should say. Um, so I think um, I noticed that. I thought it was weird because it's a constellation from our own sky. Yeah. Um, but, you know, potentially Tolkien, in any case, you know, part of the writings of this was that he felt that certainly the British or the English didn't, or hadn't held on to their law mm. that they had originally back, I guess, when it was Celtic, in the same way as the Irish or the Scots mm -hmm. or the Norse uh, and so on, and those legends. And part of it was creating one of himself. So mm. I think you could say it may be set in the the world that we live in. Maybe. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was interesting to see the Big Dipper there, for sure. Interesting idea. Unfortunately, as we said, we're not uh, are not experts on uh, on Tolkien lore. So, um, as for uh, who Tillian is, I don't know. Uh, it may be him. As I say, as I said in the last episode, I just I, I'm kind of hoping that it's not Gandalf. I hope it's going to be a character that we haven't met before. Um, but the rights to this show, they don't have the ownership of Silmarillion. So, if this character of Tillian plays a major part, they 
probably won't be able to take a lot of that story uh, unless some of it are told in the appendices of, uh, of Lord of the Rings. So um, let's see. Well, yeah, well, luckily he's still working on his uh, vocabulary. And yes. so it might be a long time before we get to know <laughs> uh, possibly a name for this character uh-huh. and uh, maybe just a smart uh, choice by the writers to call him the stranger Mm -hmm. yes could be could be good stuff thanks so much for that elizabeth yeah thanks elizabeth uh gail cleary says episode two watched oh my god i am just blown away by how beautiful this is that last scene with the mysterious ishtari took my breath away the dwarf kingdom was amazing i'm still not sold in the act of playing elrond early days yet i hope he starts to grow me soon because elrond is one of my favorite characters i loved the actor they played for the ishtari i suspect some timeline jiggery poker is about if he is who we are meant to believe he is, sorry for the vagueness, but I'm not sure of your spoiler policy. Now I have to wait another week. The torture. Uh, so Istari, that's the one we've been, that's, that's the word we've been looking for. Thanks so much, Gail. Um, that's the race of wizards. Uh, yes. That's the, the, Excellent that Gandalf stuff. comes from. So, uh, thanks for that, Gail. Um, spoiler policy. Let's try not to spoil the story that could be coming up, but any context of things we've seen on screen that I think is helpful. What do you think, John? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, uh, great to get your thoughts, Gail. And I hope the, the torture of the week in between, uh, is now relieved mm. as episode three uh, had, came out there on Friday. So yeah, great to get your thoughts. Um, thank you so much. We also had an email in from Coffee and Vodka who says, Greetings fellow Meteor-born defenders. Nice. 100 million per episode based on the appendices of The Lord of the Rings and some non-law inventiveness. Risky, but still better than blowing it on a phallic space trip <laughs> and turns out to be money well spent. Starting and centering the show around Galadriel, Nori, Elrond, Arondir, and Bronwyn, as well as a mysterious and powerful stranger set me on a familiar fantasy ground. Mm -hmm. Four societies, or five, counting the orcs, each with their own motivations from simple survival to keeping the peace to conquest. All of the main characters going against the grain of their people towards fighting the evil of Morgoth. All except for Nori, who seems more Took than Brandyfoot, are we looking at possible fellowship? Uh-huh. <laughs> Though I can see why some might complain of pacing issues, I like the slow build. Mm-hmm. Tolkien took his time, and they're already condensing thousands of years down to key events. Mm-hmm. In short, I'm enjoying the show that is very against the odds in its creation and look forward to all the episodes going forward. Also, my MVP award goes to Markella Kavanagh's Eleanor Nori Brandyfoot for episodes one and two and the rest of the season and or series calling it now a fan favorite <laughs> finally if you had all the money in the world and could bring any literary creation to series or cinematic life which would it be five hot guys heavy hellish hilts and firefly constellations out of five peace and take care Coffee and vodka. Uh, great stuff, coffee and vodka. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for the uh, feedback. I, I know what you mean around the pacing. I, th- I think I think this pacing is really good. Yeah. As you say, um, Tolkien certainly did take his time, uh-huh. uh, which really ruined my <sighs> enjoyment of Lord of the Rings. Af- and this is sort of back when I was... 
12 after right. reading The Hobbit, which is really good pace. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's only like 300 and odd pages. Yeah. And then I went into the Lord of the Rings. And for me at the time, it just, it was too much. I, I couldn't get a sense of it. Um, but so I've since been so. back. <laughs> so, I mean, Tolkien had a very, uh, sort of drawn out pace with his literary style. He was interested in giving the world building exactly. and the details about who each character was rather than just having conversations to move along the plot. Exactly. Which I loved about it. It, it. It's really interesting at the moment we have, you know, House of the Dragon going on at the moment, which is covering a period of thousands of years. And every week you turn on that show and it goes, at the start of the episode, they call out three years have passed or six months have passed or five years have passed on each and every episode, whereas here we're in the world of Lord of the Rings and these things are obviously going to be compared. They're two fantasy shows going side by side. There's no comparison here. The Lord of the Rings will take its time. The story coming from how Tolkien wrote, they're trying to respect his way of writing and it's not about hitting major points. It's about telling the story in this world with all of the characters. So I don't suspect we're going to get too many jumps in time in this eight-episode season uh, this year. We may get one between season one and two, but I suspect the story will unfold the way it's supposed to, the way way it it was intended. (laughs) No, absolutely, absolutely. I I think, um, you know, it was just how old I was at the time. And going back to it, it was was great. I loved it. It's um, funny, isn't it? As, as I said earlier on, we were watching The Hobbit earlier on this week, and, and one of the things I totally agree with Peter Jackson and Philip Boynes and the, the writers behind um, The Hobbit is there is a moment at the end of The Hobbit, this two or 300-page book, where you've been building up to this battle of the five armies, and effectively The Hobbit that you've been following, Bill Bowes writing the story, gets bonked over the head, and then the war is over. It always felt really disappointing when reading The Hobbit uh, later in life that you missed out on this big epic part of the book which is totally in all of the lord of the rings they have the epic is in there you know um and i like that they at least called on that when they did the movies they decided that they would show the battle of the five armies because it felt disappointing that they didn't because of the brevity of that book absolutely (laughs) and of course uh totally with you um so much better to have this uh, on TV than some ridiculous uh, rich man's spaceship going mm-hmm. up into orbit. 100%. And, yeah. of course, I don't know whether they are technically another society, but you could argue now with the Numenorians introduced in Episode 3, at least at least an offshoot, um, uh, a an evolution of, of man mm. uh, has been introduced as well. So possibly a sixth society absolutely absolutely Uh, on your question coffee and vodka if we had all the money in the world what would we translate what literary creation would we bring to life that's a really interesting question because you know at the moment all the stuff that we're covering on tv you know we're covering marvel shows i love marvel i'm a big comic book fan we've covered why the last man last year which i thought was a great adaptation of one of my favorite comic books we're covering sandman which was my favorite comic book as a kid we're now covering lord of the rings and on the other side we're able to see more game of thrones uh, on tv which we're not covering here but there's so much being brought to life from the literary creations i enjoyed so much over the years that it's interesting even you know down to my favorite uh crime fiction which is uh lee child's uh, jack reacher stories yeah, yeah. those are also being translated really well to tv so th- i don't know whether i i need the money i'm really happy that the people who have the money are doing great jobs in translating uh the stuff i love into tv shows so i don't have another answer for that off the top of my head um i 
kind of do, okay. I guess. Yeah. I think if, if I could, uh, one of the literary creations that I would certainly love to bring to a, um, cinematic life or mm-hmm. series would be Chrysalids. Oh, yes. By, of by John Wyndham. Yes. Yeah. Massive fan of John Wyndham. Love mm-hmm. his sci-fi. I think he was real avant-garde for his time and mm-hmm. had brought so much into what you'd consider to be modern sci-fi, uh, as well. Yeah. Um, I guess his novels now are a little bit dated in terms of their language, but mm-hmm. I think Chrysalids really holds up. I think it's his, his best, best work. So I, I, I would choose the Chrysalids. Excellent. Excellent. It is a really good book. I can see how that could be done really well, uh, now on, on the, uh, yeah. on the film screen or on TV. Excellent stuff. Thanks, Coffee Vodka. Yeah, thanks, Coffee and Vodka. Finally, on episode one and two, Richard Blaze says, I finally got around to watching this. Bit late to the party due to holidays, but wow, what a fantastic couple of episodes. Looks gorgeous, sounds amazing, and for me, most of the characters are perfectly cast. I have a slight issue with Celebrimbor looking a bit out of place. Couple of points. We know Sauron is supposed to be hiding in plain sight with people pointing at Halbrand or Theo, but they seem a bit too obvious. I'd go for Theo's friend who has a disagreement with Arondir as he seems to try to grab the sword as soon as he sees it. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, interesting. The stranger, could it be Tilion? But the issue here is in the Salmarillion and Amazon don't have the rights to that, and I don't think he's in the appendices for Lord of the Rings. Maybe wrong, so I might have to go and check. Cannot wait to see how this plays out over the season and the next four episodes. Good stuff. Thanks so much, Richard. Um, yeah, another another vote there for Tilion. Uh, but exactly as we mentioned, uh, Salmarillion... Uh, Rights aren't owned by Amazon, so uh, we'll see how they work around that. Yeah, I guess it could be Tillian in all but name. Maybe. You know, they might just do it like that. Can you imagine how frustrating it would be if you never had a name for the character there? <laughs> no, well, I, I get it, but it, it's it's a way of having the character yeah. there who is um, important in this age and needs to be in there, but they can't get the rights to it. So, a, I, I mean, everybody, you have yeah. to be... You have to work around what you've got, I guess. So everybody that meets him walks up to him and goes, hello, stranger. Yeah. yeah. Or they'll just <laughs> maybe call Tilia, maybe. Maybe. Create, I, and, you know, something I, similar. I don't I know. have a feeling Amazon would have to pay for that if they don't get the entire rights to the submarine. They would have to pay if they use close to the name. <laughs> or, or Brillo. 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 Brilliant. Brilliant? <laughs> I maybe. don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I'm, who knows? Um, but at the moment, I don't think we need uh, the Iskari's name. It's a nice start. I'm hoping we're going to get a reveal of who he is in the future. When he, when he reaches his destination, I, I presume that's where we're going to get a reveal. Good stuff. Great to have you on board with us, Richard. Yeah, thanks, Richard. Let's get on some feedback on episode three. John, uh, over an email? Yes. Over on email, Robert Williams sent us his thoughts on the third episode. Hello there, fellow high elves and ship hands. This episode to me is awesome. So much better than the last two. Mm. So, so much to touch on. Who is Adar? Where are the orc prisoners? Random location or somewhere special? Where will Galadriel get an army and a ship? Also, love the irony in the situation where Galadriel makes friends while her friend ends up making enemies <laughs> when he was the one warning her not to make enemies. Good. And the fight scene at the end. Wow. Getting to HBO's status with showing of the warg eating prisoners and just when we thought the elves would win, the lead elf being shot and escape fails. I did not expect that, but incredible action scene. 
I can totally see Derek doing those kick flips while <laughs> editing the podcast. Very much looking forward to your discussion. May the caravan not leave you behind, Robert. Well, indeed, Robert. Yes, um, it would be pretty brutal if we were left behind by the caravan. Um, <laughs> yes, it would. Weirdly, I can't see Derek doing those kick flips that we see around there doing. Um, I think he might have to work on his uh, flipping technique in the back garden. Uh, I to think be I think I might. I, I don't think I'd be able to do the job of editing. That's concentrating on two things at the same time. Uh, definitely not something I could do. But thanks, Robert. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think. Uh, yep. That. Totally with you, and um, the the action there uh, mm-hmm. with the captured elves of Arondir and his compatriots. It was just so good with the chains, the battle it, of it, chains. Yes, it, you know, mm. I I think of being in a battle or something, and the the, the solidity of a a sword or mm-hmm. a shield or a pike or or something like that, or even arrows were you know it's long range. I kind of understand those it was a bit like with some of the the knives on the end of rope in shang chi as well it's like with the chains it's like you have to have a special ability to control um that and it just makes it really awesome to watch so Mm -hmm. i absolutely loved that that chain fight really very very cool and i mean on adar who is he uh i think you know as we've mentioned I'm going at the moment with an all-out theory that he is the creator of orcs. Right. He is an elf um, that is... Has been turned. The person that has managed to create uh, orcs who is able to corrupt and pervert mm. elves um, into the orcs that we see. But obviously with some slight um, unintended side effects, uh, such as not being able to travel in daylight. Well, yes, exactly, exactly. Great stuff, Robert. Thanks very much for your thoughts. Um, If the caravan leaves us behind and you also get left behind, you can come and join our caravan. Yeah, well, I'll have to do some <laughs> hitchhiking, I guess. Yes. Over on Facebook, we also got some feedback from Victor Von Doon, who says, Salutations once again, my lords. I must echo the compliments regarding the new theme. Very foreboding. Halbrand is more than he appears. A king? A knight? His theft of Galadriel's blade and the beatdown of the thugs surely suggest he is special. I enjoy the multi-part mysteries being unraveled here. The soldier's attempted escape was very thrilling. I believe Arondir will eventually overcome when he finds the archers atop the dig. Is Adar Sauron or another lieutenant? Perhaps the stranger, now with the Harfoots, is an ally and not a liability. He must be a wizard who is alien to this world. And a Thoris Itel, Victor Von Doom. I better look up what that what that means. <laughs> you, um, you must try and find the pronunciation. And the you pronunciation. need the phonetics of it. Yes. Um, yeah. I do. I, I think Victor's done a pretty good job, and I'm not sure whether I've done a good job. That's all. Uh, <laughs> no, exactly. Pronunciation. So I'll, I'll check out what that means, uh, make sure I'm not offending any people that speak Elvish uh, by my pronunciation. <laughs> but thank you, Victor. Um, yeah, I guess I guess that one of those central mysteries is, who is Adar? Will we see uh, he is a lieutenant, or is he Sarah on himself? Um, didn't look... Sauron-like. We did see a little flashback to Sauron in front of his armies uh, at the start of the first episode uh, who looked quite similar to the way we've seen uh, Sauron in Lord of the Rings. So um, I wonder if if Adar is someone completely different. Yeah, I'm I'm going with Lieutenant of some description. Yeah. 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 And yes, just to call out, you you mentioned the fight from from Halbrand. Uh, Another HBO moment, I guess, as as Robert mentioned uh, there earlier on, uh, that breaking of the arm um, felt really, mm. really brutal. And there did seem to be a touch with Halbrand 
almost of like Hulk, where he's saying, you don't want to do this, and then gets a punch in the face and then turns on all four of them and takes them all out. It was almost like he couldn't control himself once he was embroiled in that battle. Yeah. Um, so uh, interesting to see uh, who he is, but it seems like he does have um, some um, kingly blood in him, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent stuff. Thank you, Victor, for, for the comments. Richard Blaze on episode three says, thought it was good, but didn't enjoy it as much as the first two, mm. as I felt some of the action tried a bit too hard to replicate The Witcher or Game of Thrones. Interesting. Halbrand, far more to him, said last time, but too obvious to make him sour on. But as his fight was similar to The Witcher with a little tomfoolery, is he giving us a nod he could end up as the Witch King? Interesting. Galadriel and Elendil look like a whole heap of fun, following the pair to uncover what is going on. Mm -hmm. Arondir continues for me to be the strongest character and performance of the show. His chopping of the tree and his upset was hugely emotional. Mm -hmm. Harfoots and the Stranger always delight in their antics, still really hoping it's not Gandalf at all and just another Maya. And now, Richard, have you just thrown in another uh -huh. uh, name for the race of, of wizards? Uh, I This... I just got to find it we need to know um or maybe this is something different than than a wizard but anyway thank you richard uh for adding in another piece <laughs> of the puzzle there are many many words for everything uh, exactly exactly <laughs> uh richard continues glad to see that they are trying to flesh out a sealed door rather than just making him someone who turned bad mm -hmm. as in the fellowship and it'll be good to see him develop oh the warg was that just ugly Sonic getting a new appearance? <laughs> I can definitely see where you're coming from there, for sure. Uh, and finally, no dwarves and their Pulp Fiction box this week. Though I think we can also guess what they've found. Mm. And also, no Elrond and Celebrimbor, which lets it down a bit. Still looks bloody lovely. Like I said, a good episode, but the weakest of the three so far. Thanks, Richard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I really enjoyed this episode. I think it was just having the different lore around the Numenorians coming out and the intrigue there. That you know, the additional bits of of um stuff coming from um as well the the trip to the Hall of Law by uh, Galadriel. Um, and yeah, I totally agree. I'm really, really enjoying Arondir. Um. I think He's such sad. a great, great character. Yeah. I'm really hoping he won't, you know, if my theory around Adar is right, that he isn't going to be turned into an orc. Mm. Um, because he's certainly the one in most peril at this moment. Certainly. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think for me as well, I really do like uh, Galadriel. Mm -hmm. um, I think um, just it feels really on point uh, to me uh, and i'm glad that her and halbrand's relationship you know is starting to just uh, progress and evolve here yeah. in the story Absolutely. for sure and um, i in some ways i didn't miss elrond and selembrabor mm -hmm. um i'm guessing they they might chop in and out rather than having too much um yeah. So maybe in the next episode we'll see uh, them and the dwarves back i, I guess yeah 
Yeah, as, as their tale also continues. As they're building the forge. Uh, I do love that Richard said, um, you can kind of guess what's inside the Pulp Fiction box, and we already guessed wrong. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah. so not everybody can guess, uh, Richard. But, uh, but thanks so much for your thoughts. Keep watching the episodes. Keep sending them in. As we mentioned, the next time we're recording a... Uh, Rings of Power episode, we'll be talking about episode four and episode five. So uh, get all your thoughts into us uh, over the next couple of weeks while we're away. And one last piece of feedback on episode three slipped in while I was uh, doing the editing. So we've reconvened myself and John uh, because we have a final voicemail in from Dr. Bob Phillips. So they haven't yet invected Factor 50, have they, in the Middle Earth area? Because those orcs were particularly sensitive to sunlight. I did like the way that they were half mummified as they were wrapping themselves up. And, you know, going forwards, it's not a bad idea for skin protection. The whole of that elves digging tunnels and expanding underneath the place is a really nice arc. And I I can't wait to see where that one goes. And if it gives more opportunities for astounding uh, chain and rope work and warg destruction with massive killing elf leaps, then, um, then yeah, yeah, I'm definitely up for that. The thing that's still slightly bothering me, and I know it's a thread through Tolkien that I just have to get over, is the, the bloodline stuff about the, the secret royalty who's actually a thief on the side and the way that the elven stuff from the past is coming forward into the future. Anyway, I hope that that will emerge to be a lot more positive than I'm worrying about. Finally, I would like to offer a small song um, in honour of those who help others. It's a star man pulling a small cart. He's doing it for friendship because the not hobbits are nice. It's a star man looking for his constellation. He knows he might not find it, but the other halflings are helpful now at least you know that chris jones isn't the worst singer in the world thank you everyone keep it up it's excellent stuff that you're doing enjoy the holes thank you so much dr bob i'm gonna have to do this john Full uh, on applause from our, our studio audience there, Dr. Bob. Well done. Yeah, well <laughs> done for uh, managing to sort of get the words in the for yeah. Starman. Um, and yes, I, I think Chris may have found um, his singing partner. <laughs> Maybe have. a duo is in order. <laughs> At least uh, Dr. Bob remembered the lyrics, though. So yes, that's a, that's another big difference uh, with Chris. That is true. That is true. <laughs> um, yes, I think. Uh, yeah. I'll, our cat started to uh, <laughs> sort of howl, I guess. If cats howl. I don't think I cats howl. No, they don't. It's amazing the what Dr. Bob's... dogs, then. Yeah. No, <laughs> just joking. what Dr. Bob's singing did to our cat. <laughs> yeah, just joking. And, of course, yes, I think the, the Factor 50 um, mm. should definitely be uh, employed. Yeah, I'm loving that arc as well yeah. with the Ron Deere. And... Um, I'm probably less bothered by the Bloodline stuff, but, mm. I, I mean... I guess it's one of those things when you do the early stuff is that you're, you've got that sense of the history from yeah. the Lord of the Rings yeah. and 
in a sense, you know, we know that certain things that are being put on the plate here are going to happen. And, you know, dwarves mining too deep in in their Mm. mountain kingdoms, there is going to be bye-bye Southlands um, in in a sense. But uh, it will be interesting, as you say, it's how these players on the board um, interact um, and how their story unfolds, I think, yeah. which is going to be really, really interesting. Absolutely. So, yeah, good stuff, uh, Dr. Bob. Uh, great to hear the voicemail and, um, dare I say it, the singing. Um, so yes. we'll, we'll try and get Chris to um, sort of re- come back um, to carry this forward. Maybe he can he can write a, a short little song to some tune as yeah, well. Maybe for She-Hulk or for, uh, for Sadman. <laughs> Uh, although I don't want to hear Chris's sad mad song. Thank you so much for that, Dr. Bob. Great yeah. to hear from you. Great stuff. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks so much to everybody who's been sending us in your feedback to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or over in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries. We're also on Twitter. Just follow the handle at tvpodindustries. Yeah, um, thank you so much. Remember, please stay subscribed to the podcast mm-hmm. and Racers, leave a review, but importantly, share the podcast as well, because sharing the podcast is, of course, sharing the love. Yes, it is. You can also head on over to patreon.com forward slash TV podcast industries or buymeacoffee.com forward slash TVPI if you wish to donate any support, uh, whether it is subscribing to the podcast or through Patreon or Mm -hmm. Buy Me A Coffee is very much appreciated, as well as the support uh, with all the feedback coming in for this show. Really, really good stuff, fellow ringers. And one final way you can support us, you can also rate us over on uh, over on iTunes or on Spotify. Uh, we're getting loads of really nice ratings uh, over on Spotify. Really, uh, five-star ratings, actually, which has been lovely to see. Uh, thank you so much uh, for listening along with us and hope you're enjoying the covers that we have. Uh, we will have one more episode of Sandman out before we go on our holidays, uh, and then we'll be back with our coverage of She-Hulk, Rings of Power, and our, our final episodes of The Sandman. Thanks so much for joining us. Talk to you again next time. Yes, thank you so much, fellow ringers, for joining us on our chit-chat around Middle-earth. Remember, in the meantime, keep watching, keep listening, and whilst the moon is full, be careful where you have your shenanigans later on. (laughs) Because everybody's going to see you. Exactly. (laughs) Bye. Bye.